millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And in this episode, we're talking Mothering Sunday, as well as all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And this week we're talking Mothering Sunday, which in this film, a housemaid living in post-World War I England secretly plans to meet with the man she loves on a warm spring day before he leaves to marry another woman. But events that neither can foresee will change the course of Jane's life forever. Mothering Sunday is directed by Eva Husson from a screenplay by Alice Birch based on the novel by Graham Swift. The film stars Odessa Young, Josh O'Connor, Colin Firth and the wonderful Olivia Colman. Amazing. Now, Tim, this story was unexpected. Uh I don't know about you. I, I don't think I had preconceived notions, but the film went in directions that I just didn't expect it to. I don't know if I'd seen much marketing or, or synopsis stuff about this film beforehand. Mm. What did you think? Look, to be honest, I went into this movie not really knowing much about it either. Mm. I don't actually think I'd seen a trailer. No. So when the film started playing out and what was relatively unclear to me in the first instance was that it follows the story of Jane, right, right? Mm-hmm. but covers like three timelines. Yes. So in the 20s, the 40s, and then the 80s. Yes. And it all links back to the main events that happened in the 1920s when we opened up talking about yes. that warm spring day yeah. between lovers and whatever. But how effective did you think it was in weaving all this together? Well, this is the thing that, sort of became clear afterwards. So it begins on English Mother's Day, March 30 in yep. 1924, after World War One. And what seems like a simple upstairs, downstairs drama about mm-hmm. class systems yeah. unfolds to be about this woman at different stages in her life. But I think to remember the story is based on a novella by Graham Swift that is a time-bending story of memories. Okay, right. so older Jane is recounting her tale of love 
but stopping along the way at different points in her life. That's the tricky thing. So you need right. to remember that the main part of the story is actually older Jane recounting this young love and how it shaped her life for a book that she seems to be writing for her whole life. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, she seems to be trying to write this book right for ages. Yeah. And it's a it's a tricky one to adapt, yeah. Graham Swift's novel. Um, yeah, how effective was it? I don't no, I haven't read the book. Mm. It seemed a little confusing to me. I didn't know which storyline we were supposed to be focusing on. Yeah. And I wondered why we weren't getting more of the later life stuff. Yes. But once you understand that it is meant to be about this mothering Sunday in 1924, mm. that's the focus of the story. I mm. think it all comes together and becomes a bit more clearer. But yeah. the fact that it didn't while I was watching, yeah, kind of is a problem, I think. Yeah, it puts you on the back foot. I really appreciate the insight in terms of how the mm. novella was written because I, I, I think in the adaptation they missed a beat in not having an overarching voice, like a voiceover to connect. Right. And, and, if, the, and if the novel focused so much on older Jane, mm. there's that wisdom, that insight, that experience that I feel was lost in trying to connect the stories because I felt the story was so disjointed yes, it was quite a little uneven bit. Yeah. and i honestly found it near impossible to follow for almost the first half of the film okay yeah. i had no idea what was going on <laughs> right. i was confused and i was annoyed at myself because i thought what am i missing yeah but i actually think it was the pace and the structure of how they were weaving yeah. the timelines that was so ineffectively achieved i think it's that you don't understand that it's yeah. about older jane mm. writing about the story of her young love this whole yes. time because there's literally one contemplative shot of older Jane yes, yeah. at the beginning where she looks up thinking and then mm. it cuts back in and you never revisit old Jane for like a fucking hour or something. <laughs> yeah. And so there wasn't enough context established that she was looking back at her mm. life. Yeah. I, I, that, that is a core piece mm. of the communication between the film and the audience that was missing here. You think it should have been a bit of an Edward Scissorhands situation where she starts oh. telling the story at the beginning and then you see the story and well, then you don't go back to it until later. Well, honestly, I mean, maybe not quite to the <laughs> – I freaking love Edward Scissorhands. So now, now I want to talk about that. Um, it's a weird no, one to compare to this film because it's nothing like Edward Scissorhands. No, nothing like Edward Scissorhands. But that, that is a classic storytelling trope, yeah. what Edward Scissorhands did. Mm. And it's not lesser of a film that doesn't choose to go to a more direct way of communicating to the audience. Yeah. It's clearly effective and it worked in yes. that film. I, I actually think it could have taken a leaf out of Edward Scissorhands' book <laughs> okay. and done that but okay. potentially. But within the original story of mm. Jane in 1924, there are some really beautiful themes being explored. There's this underlying thread of grief, yeah. three families – um, who are all friends and neighbours, have all lost their sons in the war. Mm. There's only one left called Paul, who's played by Josh O'Connor. Yes. And he's the one who's having the affair with with Jane, who is the maid of one of the families. It's quite a sensual film. Goodness. The word sensual yeah. comes up. Mm. Lots of close-ups of lips touching, backlit through sunlit windows, mm. curves of body parts where you can't really tell quite what body part it is. It's going a bit cross-eyed at times yeah. trying to figure out what I was looking at. It's, it's a bit sexy. It's a bit it's very yeah. sexy. There's a lot of butts, penis and vagina, <laughs> just, just to put it out yeah, there. Yeah, there is, yeah. yeah. Um, I will say as well that I greatly admire people who can walk around naked. Mm. You know what I mean? There's a scene where Jane, played by Odessa Young, 
walks around the manor that she's just had her tryst with her boyfriend. Mm. She walks around the manor naked for a really extended period of time. Really, really, really you know, long time. She sits on chairs in lie in the library. Lights a cigarette. Has some lunch <laughs> naked. I mean, do you ever do that? Are you the kind of person who walks around the house naked? Sure. Yeah, I can do it. But I'm not. I can't. Wa- yeah, but I'm not walking around a manor, no. you know, eating pie and lighting a cigarette. <laughs> my apartment is very small. Like my experience <laughs> walking around my apartment wouldn't really play but, out very well in a film. But would you? <laughs> <laughs> you could see my whole apartment from the front door. Who would pay to see that? Yeah. Buy us a coffee. You might be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Tim will get naked for the pod. Yeah. Um, be careful what you put down yeah. on audio. Oh, gosh, this is on record, Christ. No, but I mean, doing everyday tasks and stuff, like walking from the bathroom to the bedroom to get dressed is one yeah. thing, but do you just wander around for like an odd hour? I mean, maybe not an hour. I may, I'm t- <laughs> <laughs> do you really want me to answer this question? We're getting to, know, like, we're na- we're getting to know Tim intimately I like being, here. I like being nude. I like being naked. That's fine. But I'm not going to have like a whole Haunted Mansion manner experience like Jane did in the film. you know. Anyway. I, look, I admire it. I yeah. do admire it because I can't do yeah. it. No, I wouldn't do it. Just touching on the, the nudity in this film anyway, just to bring it yeah. away from my own <laughs> nudity in life. <laughs> uh, I think it's managed really, really beautifully. Yeah. And it demonstrates significant vulnerability. There's such comfort between the two lovers and that's quite powerful Mm. that you're just seeing them in situ because you know what, guys, when you have sex, you're naked Mm. and then you might talk after Mm. and have a conversation or go about your day, like you're still naked. So it's actually real and it was quite refreshing to see that happen because in movies so often you see couples or lovers, Mm. you know, they have sex Mm. and then the first thing they do is put a shirt on yeah. And their pants and, and, you know, whatever and leave or whatever. They, these guys just stay nude and yeah. you see it all and it's really quite beautiful. That's another thing that I want to discuss with what, you. Whether I'm – what? Are we talking about what I get <laughs> up to between the sheets? No. no <laughs> but, oh, God, this episode's going sideways. What order do you get dressed in? Because in oh, the film, yeah. mm. Josh O'Connor puts his shirt on and he's just Donald ducking it around <laughs> – this just has to be one of my favourite episodes so far. Uh, yeah, but he's, he, he's Donald ducking it yeah. around the manor without his pants on. I mean, yeah. and she even comments in the character comments later on in her life. Yes. About the order of which a man the gets dressed. The order of which a man gets dressed, yeah. Um, no, my underwear goes on first if you need <laughs> yeah. to know. Followed by either a shirt or jeans. Okay. Depends what I'm doing, you know. Okay, but definitely underwear first. <laughs> definitely underwear first, yes. <laughs> okay. Jeez. I'm um, getting back to the intimacy and the, yeah. the nakedness yes, and the yes, sex yes. and stuff. Okay. Mm. So there's also an uh, allusion to her losing her virginity, which I thought was quite cool to include yeah, as well. Okay. That's what it was. I was wondering what that was in the middle. Yeah. Okay. There's a bit of blood situation. Mm. And he's mm. like, oh, did I hurt you? And yeah. Like, no, it's good. Yeah. I, I just thought she was on a period. Oh, it could have been that too. But no, I think it was because it seemed to be an earlier stage in their relationship. Well, see, again, this is this is what confused me about mm. the the non-linear. The timeline. The, the timeline. The, the, there were scenes that just kind of get plonked in and you're like, okay, was this before, after? It was all just a little confusing to me. Let's get on to the characters and the performances, okay? So Jane is played by Odessa Young, who mm. is an Australian. Go yeah. Aussies. A good line to describe Jane as a character, which is said in the film, is that she's an occupational observer of life, mm. first as a maid and then as a writer, yeah. which I thought was really cool. I really enjoyed Odessa Young's performance. She's captivating to watch as someone who was an orphan, 
working in servitude, blossoming into an independent woman through pain and loss and, and grief. Yeah, I, lo- I loved the strength of her character and the performance that Odessa portrays is so commanding. Mm. And I actually think, without going on too much about the whole nudity thing, mm. but I admire her as an actress. Yep. It, she's so brave to have taken on a performance that had such extensive and at times really confronting nudity mm. and countless sex scenes. Like, she owned it. Yep. And she was wonderful. She was yep. brilliant. And I'm really glad she took on that role mm. because you felt you, you felt so much about it. But everything in this film pales in comparison to Colin Firth and Olivia Colman. Right. They are supporting characters in this film, but the emotional depth in a look – behind a stiff upper lip facade Mm. is just outstanding. They're two masters at work. Colin Firth, Olivia Colman, they're they're a married couple in this movie. I found Colin so sweet, so Mm. kind, Mm. so endearing. There was always so much tension that he was navigating around. He was that guy at the table, that friend, if you will, that just wants to focus on the positivity to cut through a really shit time. They've all lost their children. Yeah. It's very fresh. So macabre. Everyone was just so But that's what it was. Yeah. So many people Mm. lost their children in the war. Thousands and thousands of people died. Mm. And what's interesting, you mentioned the the theme earlier about grief and loss. Mm. What's really nice about what you see in this movie is that it's been a few years since the war has ended Mm. and it portrays how grief is experienced by different people in different ways. You look at the character of Miss Niven, Mrs. Niven, Livia Coleman, Mm. and she's almost catatonic. She's so melancholy. Mm. And you're thinking how awful that she still feels that way, Mm. presents physically Mm. that way after so many years and it just breaks your heart. I mean, but it hadn't been all that long, really. No, no. Yeah, the performance they give. And then you get Colin Firth Mm. who is trying to see the positivity and the fact they're all here still together. Yes. Imagine existing in such a melancholy group but being that guy that tries to lift Mm. the spirit. But you could see the pain in his performance. You're right. (sighs) They, They were stunning in this movie, both of them. God, I love Colin Firth. What can he do wrong? Nothing. He can do no wrong. Can do no wrong. Let's talk about the cinematography. It's by South African Jamie Ramsey. As we said, lots of close-ups and dreamlike shots that make you feel like you're watching a memory, which I think is what the book tries to convey. So in that sense, you get it. You can tell the clear differences between the 1924 section Mm. and the later in life section because, you know, one's quite dreamy and poetic and the rest is just very straightforward. I found his work so stunning and striking, like absolutely world-class. But I have to touch on the use of the cinematography versus the story because it almost made the film worse for me in terms of not enjoying it because such skill and craft went into framing and present what I found. I say this with all due respect, like I found the film quite dull and really lifeless. Okay. And I was so, I was quite bored watching the movie and I was like, wow, this movie looks beautiful yeah but th- these shots this experience this atmosphere that's been created here yeah. is being lost on this story that i just wasn't invested in at all right okay mm. that's interesting that yeah. you say that i don't know if i felt the same right i was quite 
captivated mm. by it. But, yeah, there you go. I think part of my problem, Lee, was mm. that I didn't know what was going on for about 45 minutes yeah, to an hour. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but by the time, which, you know, is a pretty big problem. Yeah. And by the time it started to make sense for me as a viewer, mm. I was so disconnected. I was right. so far removed you from it done. that it, 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 I found mm. it really hard to get back into the story and the characters, yeah. yeah. What's interesting in terms of the colour palettes and the mm. set designs throughout the ages is that in the young sections when she's younger there's lots of greens and yellows and spring and brown you know and then when she's older it's a lot of red and blues more mature bolder colors which i thought was really beautiful yeah well you saw that maturing of of, of a character and Mm. just on that odessa is a 22 year old actress yep and i was really impressed by her ability to play a 40 year old yeah 20 years later, like her physicality, her voice work, you Mm. could tell that she was embodying a more mature, experienced uh, woman. I thought that that was another great thing about her performance. Yeah, it was. And on top of that, you've got the hair and makeup by Nadia Stacey, who we really enjoy on this podcast. We We love her work. We bring her up a lot. She She works hard. She works forever in a day. I know. She's amazing. So impressive. But the makeup is very understated. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all about the narrative, but it works seamlessly within the different periods and, as you said, adds to the performance of Odessa Mm. at the different stages in her life. It's very well done. Shall we wrap up Mothering Sunday, Tim? Yeah. So the last thing I want to be is disrespectful to a film, but I haven't been so bored in a movie in quite a long time. Mothering Sunday was painfully dull. It was quite slow to the point of frustration. The fragmented narrative was confusing for me and the attempted story structure and just simply didn't work. There was barely a connection with the characters, which was a shame because their performances were also excellent. So for me, the only redeeming factor was the film was shot so gorgeously. And it's such a shame it was wasted on this film, like I mentioned before. So I'm going to rate Mothering Sunday to Popcorn Kernels. Okay, well, Mothering Sunday is an elegantly shot exploration of how it's not what we do that shapes us, but our experiences and traumas. The young cast more than holds their own against supporting legends like Colin Firth and Olivia Colman, but there's a slow, languishing quality to it that might not hold everyone's interest. I'm giving Mothering Sunday three popcorn kernels out of five. Well, there you go. Mothering Sunday is in Australian cinemas from June 2nd. So before we kick off our news and trailer section for today's episode, we want you to keep your eyes peeled on Popcorn Podcast YouTube account and podcast platform this week for our recent chat with the directors of The Lost City, Aaron and Adam Nee. That's right. The directing duo sat down with Popcorn Podcast to talk about their blockbuster adventure comedy starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum as a reclusive author and her book's cover model, respectively, who get lost in the jungle when Loretta is kidnapped by a wealthy madman played by Daniel Radcliffe. Excitedly, the directors also shared some fun news about their hotly anticipated upcoming project, Masters of the Universe, based on the Mattel franchise with He-Man, She-Ra and Skeletor battling for the fate of Planet Eternia. Can't wait to see that one. I know how excited you are yeah. about this. I'm, I'm excited too. We're also running a download code giveaway where you can win your own copy of The Lost City on digital. So head over to the website popcornpodcast.com now to enter. The Lost City is available to buy or rent on digital from June 1st. 
So it's all about trailers this week, Tim, with epic new looks at some of the most anticipated movies of this year and next. We first got a bigger insight into the latest MCU film, Thor, Love and Thunder, including a first look at Christian Bale as the villain of the film, Gore the God Butcher, and loads more of Natalie Portman as Lady Thor. Now, this looks like such a fun ride. But what more would you expect, though, from Taika Waititi, the Thor franchise, that always such a fun time? And what do you think of Bale and Portman in this trailer? I'm a bit sad that they gave us so much uh, Portman as Lady Thor. I really wanted to keep a lot of that as a surprise, I think. And with Bale... The design of Gore the God Butcher is different to the comics. They've, you know, done away with some sort of... He's got like a head... Like ponytails? Growth. He's got ponytails. Growth. Alien ponytails. Alien ponytails. <laughs> Look, my understanding, because I did a bit of deep diving in this on the interwebs, mm. and I feel like maybe either the MCU have edited some of those that looks out to keep us on our toes, or... The gore, the god butcher we've seen in the trailer is before he becomes like a real nasty bad man. Like maybe there's grows some ponytails. Grows some ponytails and becomes a bad bad man. I don't know. I mean, he looks great. He looks terrifying. Oh, he really, really does. I mean, look, Christian Bale. He's a method actor. Hopefully, he didn't kill gods uh, while he was Mm. pretending to be gore, the god butcher. Uh, But I'm excited to see what he brings to the party. What do you think about the tone of this film? Obviously, it's going to be very similar to Ragnarok. Yeah. Do you think they're really going to push that humour further? Because the trailer is all funny, isn't it, really? It's all funny. Yeah. I'm a bit worried. Are you? Do you think it's just going to be Cletus is like Joel Yokel jokes the whole time? Maybe. I have no idea why I just said that. The thing with Marvel, you really have to balance those elements. And, you know, Taika Waititi's Thor films do lean a bit more into the humour, which is great. I'm worried it's going to go too far. I don't know. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Well, the wait is almost over. MCU fans' Thor Love and Thunder will arrive in Australian cinemas from July 7. Tim, Tom Cruise is riding on such a high right now with Top Gun Maverick blowing critics and audiences and us away. Definitely us. And it got a six-minute standing ovation at Cannes. But he wasn't satisfied enough with that, it seems. So he's now dropped the first teaser trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Look, the only thing I'll say is that the title is a little bit of a mouthful, but I will let that one slip through the keeper because this trailer, man, holy heck. This is the seventh installment in the franchise with filming currently underway on the eighth installment. And this teaser is dropping really early, given it's like 12 months away from releasing Mm. in cinemas mid-next year. What did you reckon about this, Lee? What, What did you take? away from this teaser it showed us a lot of the characters yeah a lot of the new people that are going to be in this film you've got Hayley Atwell I can't wait to see her kicking butt I love her in those kind of roles so good Vanessa Kirby's back um, Simon Pegg's back you know the usual crew are back I'm really excited to see where they're going to take it I got vibes from this trailer of like Arabian Nights the mummy kind of Mad Max, Fury Road, like... Yes. It didn't seem like the traditional Mission Impossible film, but of course they're going to be travelling all over the world again, which is what we expect. Yeah, and obviously the trailer ends with a death-defying stunt with Tom Cruise jumping off a cliff off a motorbike and it cuts before the parachute goes off. Gosh, I hope he's okay. (laughs) Well, we've seen that on his socials, haven't we? We have, we have. I can't wait to see more action-packed stunts from Tom Cruise. I need a break from Tom Cruise because, like, my heart rate is just going through the roof right now. He's just (laughs) pumping me with adrenaline. I just can't handle it anymore. He's pumping you with what? (laughs) (laughs) Lee Livingstone. That's enough. 
All right, well, iconic Aussie director George Miller is leaping back into cinemas with his hotly anticipated 3,000 Years of Longing, which revealed its first trailer this week too. So what can we expect from this film? Because we know George Miller is an incredibly innovative writer, director. I think in the trailer they reference mad genius of George Miller, which is just so fitting. It is. So... On a trip to Istanbul, a lonely scholar played by Tilda Swinton discovers a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. What she wants is love, but can and should he grant it to her? It stars Idris Elba as the djinn alongside Swinton and will be in Australian cinemas from September 1 this year. Now, from my perspective, this has all the signature grand scope and scale of a George Miller film. What did you think of this trailer? It's got that visual flair that he really throws into his films and the costumes. God, I love an Australian-made film for the freaking costumes. They're always so good. Waving that skill flag for Australia. Come get dressed down under by our costume designers. Yes. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to this. What did you say, September 1st? Bring it on. Yeah. Harrison Ford, director James Mangold, Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy and producer Frank Marshall unveiled an early photo from the fifth instalment in the Indiana Jones franchise this week. The first look at Ford as India was revealed on five-time Academy Award-winning composer John Williams' 90th birthday, goodness me, at a Star Wars celebration in Anaheim, California. Williams will be composing the score for the new indie film like he has all the other installments in the franchise, which is just comforting to know. John Williams, Hans Zimmer, God, we're blessed with some really great composers. Thank God we're alive at this point in time. Yeah, they are getting on a bit though, which is a bit worrying. Like, John Williams is 90 now. I'm concerned. Protect them. Protect Protect them at all costs. costs. (laughs) (laughs) So Indiana Jones 5. Do we have the title for this one yet? I don't think we do. No, it's just affectionately known as the fifth installment of the Indiana Jones franchise or just simply Indy 5. So no title yet. Yeah. Indy 5 opens in Australian cinemas from June 29 next year. Now, obviously, this first look offered a a, a nice, very Mm. simple, atmospheric, sort of silhouetted Indiana Jones Mm. crossing a footbridge with light coming through a a cave chasm or something. Loved it. Very Steven Spielberg. Very Steven Spielberg. Although uh, we have discussed this on the pod. Obviously, James Mangold, who is the director of this version, Mm. is a very accomplished director. I'm very excited to see what he does. But I'm, I'm sad that Spielberg isn't behind the camera on this one. The filmmaker James Wan, best known for iconic horror films such as The Conjuring and Saw franchises, would love to create a malignant cinematic universe. Yeah, this was something I wasn't expecting to come across Mm. this week at all. So in a recent interview, the Aussie filmmaker shared that, and, and I quote, that's pretty much what I do from the very start. And not so much thinking that, oh, there'll be a sequel for this, but I try to with all my films, I try to have an idea of what the bigger world would look like. The Umbrella Universe, if you will. Never heard that statement before, an Umbrella Universe. That way, when I make this particular film, I know what is happening at every moment of the film, at every moment of the storytelling, if you will. So he went on to say, because I know the bigger world that the story takes place in, there are potentially other stories to tell, and that's usually dictated by what the audience wants. If they want more stories, then I have more stories to pull into it. That's my approach, even all the way back to my first film with Saw. Now, do we want or need a malignant cinematic universe, Lee? (laughs) I don't know. What would that look like, I guess? I mean, it wouldn't continue the stories of the 
character, Madison or whatever her name was in the film. Yeah, I mean, it would would it just be a whole bunch of people with twi- evil twins inside them? Like, is that <laughs> all it would be? Just be like, there's this yeah. colony in Utah, and they're all you know, yeah, killing each other. Well, I guess the Annabelle franchise kind of veers off in in different directions, and the Conjuring one is the same main characters, but it, they solving lots of different stories because it's like a detective franchise, the Conjuring one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not the filmmaker. It's up to James Wan to come up with this shit. Yeah, well, we'll see what's under the Umbrella universe in the coming Mm. years, potentially. Well, the celebrated actor Ray Liotta has died at the age of 67. Liotta died in his sleep in the Dominican Republic where he was filming the movie Dangerous Waters. No foul play is suspected in his death. And Liotta's fiancée, J.C. Nitolo, was with him on the island. So sad and unexpected. Really unexpected. Lost a, a giant of the industry. We have indeed. Liotta was best known for playing mobster Henry Hill in Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas and the ghost of baseball giant Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams. Oh, my God, that movie makes me cry every time. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Tim, stop telling me stuff like that. (laughs) Seriously. I'm sorry. And he was most recently in Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. Now, I know you've seen that one because we reviewed it. We reviewed it, yes. (laughs) Okay, so the Cannes Film Festival has been all about standing ovations this year with Elvis, the Elvis Presley biopic, receiving no less than a 12-minute standing ovation at its world premiere at the festival. Director Baz Luhrmann and stars Tom Hanks, Austin Butler and Olivia de Jong were all in attendance. Wow. So do you think this kind of reception means we have a brilliant film on our hands? I mean, look, no one stands for 12 minutes clapping with their palms bleeding if it was a crap film. (laughs) Surely not. you got to clap like Nicole Kidman. That avoids the palms (laughs) bleeding. I I won't do it because it won't sound very good on the podcast, but I'm... Mimicking. (laughs) I'm doing it. You're doing the clap. (laughs) Speaking of this talented Elvis gang, they will be heading down under this week for the Australian premiere of the movie on the Gold Coast before they come to Sydney. And stay tuned to Popcorn Podcast because we have some special surprises coming your way related to the movie. (laughs) Very vague, but potentially overly specific. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Watch this space. Can I ask before we move on? Yeah. The film's actually getting a bit of a mixed reaction. Yeah, but I mean, that's Baz Luhrmann's career. Everyone reacts very mixed to the films he produces. He has a very unique approach to filmmaking, and I personally love it. Me too. I love it. I love it He's a creative genius, personally. Uh, Is that that putting you off, or are you still very, very excited? I'm really curious. I'm very excited, but I'm really curious to see what he's done with this story. I mean, we talked about before that he couldn't make it too fantastical because it's a real person's story. Uh, He'll elevate it where he sees the opportunity to elevate it. And by elevate, fantastical in the stratosphere, Mm. sort of in Baz's world. But do you know the runtime of the movie? No, what is it? It's two hours and 39 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, so we're in for a bit of a ride, Lee. (laughs) Yeah, make sure you go to the toilet before the movie begins. (laughs) That's what I'll make sure that I'm doing. All right, closing out the news this week with, you guessed it, another trailer. This time for Beast... Idris Elba stars in a new thriller about a father who has two teenage daughters who find themselves hunted by a massive rogue lion. Goodness, intent on proving that the savannah has only one apex predator. Yes, so as Dr. Nate Daniels 
Elba is a recently widowed husband who returns to South Africa where he first met his wife on a long planned trip with their daughters to a game reserve managed by Martin Battles, an old family friend and wildlife biologist. But what begins as a journey of healing jolts into a fearsome fight for survival when a lion, a survivor of bloodthirsty poachers who now sees all humans as enemies, begins stalking them. Gosh, this is going to be insane. The trailer really frightened me. Are you okay? I'm fine. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I guess this is the kind of film in the vein of like, you know, when the big crocodile or anaconda or like something like that, you know. One of my favourite Aussie movies ever is, I think it was produced in 2006, a film called Rogue about a big croc that hunts this group of people in the Northern Territory. Check it out. It's really, really good. I've seen it a few times now. It's kind of one of those movies you just throw on with a mate and have a good time. So I love these types of movies. I'm not generally into these kind of movies. Okay. What's all right? I'll I'll hold your hand when we go see Beast. I do love Idris Elba though, so. Oh, yes. I'll watch it. So Beast arrives in Australian cinemas from August 25. Not long to wait on that one either. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast, guys. We covered Mothering Sunday, which is in Australian cinemas from June 2nd. And as always, thank you so, so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Come and join in the conversation. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 